Well, let's all open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. All sermons are meant to instruct us from God's word, but then depending upon the content, it has a different flavor and a different application. Some are meant to comfort us, for example. A famous preacher once said, my job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Some messages are very uncomfortable to listen to, such as this morning's. So sit there and get uncomfortable. I had to prepare this. Now, you'll have to be uncomfortable for 45 minutes. It was several hours of me working over this like a cook tasting the soup. But it's good for us, and it'll have an encouraging promise at the end. In Ephesians 4, last week we left off where Paul was saying, You're a new man now that you're a Christian. Don't go back to being like the old you with certain sins. And he spoke in general categories. But today, in verses 25 to 28, he gives three specific sins and alternatives that we should do instead of those sins. And there's a lesson there before we look at these. Whenever you see a positive command in the Bible, do that and don't do the opposite of that. And when you see a sin that's forbidden, don't do that. Do the opposite that you can get. For example, look at the Ten Commandments. It starts off, don't worship false gods. Well, the opposite is, worship the true God. Another positive one is, honor your parents. And the opposite would be, don't dishonor them. And then you look at other ones that are put in the negative, such as three we're looking at today. What is the opposite you should do? For example, you should not steal. Well, what is the opposite you should do? And so forth. So we're going to look at these three this morning. So follow with me as I read verses 25 to 28 of Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. The first one here is he basically says, stop lying. He says, put it away. Just like earlier, he said, take certain sins, put them away like taking off a dirty, filthy garment, throw it away, burn it, don't put it back on. Same thing with lying. And lying means intentionally telling a falsehood. You know that it's wrong. And you say it anyway for different reasons. 1 John 2.21 says, no lie is of the truth. Lies and truth are polar opposites. And the Bible often tells us, do not lie. For example, in the Ten Commandments, do not bear false witness. Leviticus 19.11, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. 
And the Bible says we are to be like God. Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. Now we are capable of lying, but we should not lie. In heaven we will no longer lie, but we're back here on earth. Imitate God just like the Bible says. Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Do not lie because God does not lie. But we find it easy to lie. The Bible says we are natural born liars. Even little children, babies. Listen to this, Psalm 58.3. The wicked ones are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. The old American Indians used to say, white man speak with forked tongue. You ever think about that forked tongue? That's the shape of a snake's tongue. In other words, when we lie, we're imitating the devil who is the great serpent. John 8, Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies, not God. So when we lie, we imitate the devil, not God. And some people are habitual liars. They get a kick out of it, think it's cool. Even when the truth would serve them better than a lie, they can't help but lie. Maybe you've known people like this. Maybe you are such a person. Habitual liars. Congenital liars. Parents, teach your children, start early, never tell a lie. There's no justification for lying. Teach them, even if that means you have to spank them, if you catch them in a lie, and you parents give them an example. If you ever lie to them or they hear you lying about something else, you go apologize to the children, of course, You and your children need to repent and go to God. Now, some parents use the illustration of little George Washington, our first president. And you know this story. I was taught it, I think, in second grade, that when he was a little boy, he got a little hatchet and cut down a little sapling of a cherry tree, felt guilty, and the father said, George, who cut down the cherry tree? And he says, I cannot tell a lie. It was I that did it with my little hatchet. Thing is, that's not a true story. Interesting, it's trying to tell the lesson, don't tell a lie with a lying story. I did some research that that almost certainly did not happen. But yet it has a good moral to it. We should say, I cannot tell a lie. Years ago when I preached on the Ten Commandments, I had three lessons on this concerning bearing false witness and do not lie. And I had a list of about 50 different ways people tell lies. Let me just give you a sampling. They're bald-faced lies. They're half-truths. Deception. Mental reservation. What's that? Well, children learn how to do that. They say one thing and they cross their fingers behind their back, meaning another. That's called mental reservation in ethics. It's wrong. It's lying. Slander, where you speak a lie. Libel, where you print a lie. President Truman said there are three kinds of lies. There's lies, damned lies, and statistics that people massage and misrepresent. It's a form of lying. There's fraud, forgery, innuendo, flattery. A man tells a woman, you're the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. He's doing that for ulterior motives. The Bible talks about a flattering tongue in the book of Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs mentions lying quite a bit. How about propaganda? from the government, especially in times of war. You maybe you've heard the old adage, 
The first victim in war is always the truth. Keep that in mind when you hear about what's happening in Ukraine from both sides. Lying. Spin is what politicians like to do. Twisting facts. And I could go on and on. Or even unusual ways where when we don't speak the truth, we remain silent. And that is implying that something else is true when you know it's not. Silence, you can be lying by your silence. Eighth of the Ten Commandments says you shall not bear false witness, not primarily, but not exclusively refers to perjury. I don't know how many of you have ever been sworn in in a court of law and you put your hand on a Bible, put the other hand up, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. By the way, I found out that Many years ago, there was more words to that. Some of you remember Richard Hollis, who was a lawyer. He said, when I started practicing law back in the 50s, that oath continued. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And I, as I shall have to give an account as the, at the day of judgment. State of Illinois had that, he said. And he said, that put the fear of God into a number of witnesses. Perjury is a felony. Suborning perjury is wrong. You bribe someone to tell a lie on the witness stand. 1 Timothy 1.10 lists perjurers together with murderers and sexual perverts and other things. Proverbs 6.19, a false witness speaks lies. You remember when Jesus was on trial, there were several false witnesses that the Pharisees paid to tell lies about. They were false witnesses and even their False lies did not speak the same truth. It is an interesting law in the law of Moses about those that bear false witness and accuse someone of something. And then it's found to be a false accusation, perjury. The perjurer is to be punished in the same way as the accuser the accused would have been punished if he had been found guilty. I guarantee if that was put into force, that, that would really make people think about what they're going to say on the witness stand. I think it should also be applied to slander and libel. What if, however, in the courtroom you are guilty? You know, I have a ministry to prison inmates, and most of them said yes, they plead, plead guilty because there's too much evidence, and maybe they hope they could get off. Other ones, the lawyer said, well, let's try to get you off, so... Plead innocent, even though you know you're guilty. And so I had to say to some of these men, if you're guilty, you have to plead guilty. Otherwise, you are bearing false witness against yourself. You cannot lie and say, I'm innocent, if you know you're guilty. And I say to some of them, be a man, be a Christian, take the punishment, take responsibility. Don't commit perjury. Now, people lie to three different kinds of Hearers, number one, to other people. Children will lie to their parents. Parents will lie to their children. Husbands to their wives, wives to their husbands. To strangers, fellow workers, people at school. To the government, such as when you pay your taxes and you're not fully paying your taxes, you're not reporting everything. Sometimes people will lie even to their pastor or their priest, or their rabbi. I have had people lie to me, and I caught them in a lie. 
Secondly, people lie to themselves. The Bible calls that self-deception. Be not deceived, the Bible says. Or pride when we think we're the best. And we're not. We're lying to ourselves and we believe it. And perhaps the most blatant form of this is when a person lies and pretends to be a Christian when he's not. And God knows he's not. But he's deceived himself into thinking he is. Thirdly and worst of all is when people lie to God. In various ways. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God in the book of Acts. And Peter caught them in the lie and says, You have not lied to men. You have lied to God. How do people lie to God? So help me God. When they take an oath or a vow. And they know that it's not the truth. Or they lie to God in a wide variety of ways. All wrong. Now, as I said at the beginning, for every negative prohibition, there is an equal but opposite positive command. What is the opposite of telling a lie? Telling the truth. That's what we should do. Look again at the text here. Let everyone speak truth with his neighbor, putting away lying. So instead of lying, we should tell the truth. Like back in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Never lie, always tell the truth. Now, in each of the three cases this morning, we're also looking at what I call an ethical challenge where you're on the horns of a dilemma and you say, yes, I know I should do this or not do that. Are there exceptions? And so the ethical challenge on this one is this. Is it ever okay to tell a lie? I imagine most of you have been in a situation where you say, you know, it's awfully tempting and maybe I can justify it for any number of reasons. So there are two basic answers that people give. Number one, there are those that say, well, normally we should never lie, but there are exceptions, extenuating circumstances, mitigating cases. And they'll even appeal to the Bible. The case of Rahab, the harlot that hid the Jewish spies and then lied to the Canaanites and said, they're not here. And it actually even says that she was justified. It says that in the book of, um, of James. Then the case in the book of Exodus when Pharaoh said to the Jewish midwives, kill all the baby boys. And they didn't and they evidently lied about it. And people say, well, there's a case and many other cases to lie for a good cause, especially if innocent lives are at stake. The classic case that is often given in the debate is Let's say you were in France or in the Netherlands during World War II and you're hiding Jews from the Nazis. And the Gestapo comes and bangs on your door with a machine gun and says, are you hiding Jews here? And you say, what do I say? If I say yes, the Jews will die. If I say no, I'm lying, so what do I do? And by the way, read about what noble Christians did do, like Corrie ten Boone and other ones. So they say you have to lie to protect human lies. It's often said you have to lie if you are a spy. My dad was a spy in World War II, and he says it's just part of the job you have to lie, not just collecting information. Other ones will make it closer to home. They say at my place of work, the boss says I have to lie. That's part of the business. I have to lie to get ahead. Can't always tell the truth. They'd fire me, and after all, I do have to work. 
And then other ones would say, well, in their certain cases, that other person doesn't deserve the truth, like that Nazi SS manager door. He doesn't deserve the truth, so it's okay to lie. And usually what it boils down to is an ethical principle that's been summarized as the end justifies the means. You have to tell a lie for some greater good. And that's how they would justify. They say, rare, it's the lesser of two evils. Yes, lying is wrong, but if you told the truth, the consequences would be a greater evil. So those are the main arguments that say there is a legitimate exception. My answer is there's no legitimate exception any more than for the other of the Ten Commandments, like stealing idolatry, immorality, and so forth. Here's how we defend it. God explicitly forbids it here and elsewhere. What about Rahab? She was commended for her faith, not for her lies. Same thing with the Jewish midwives. What do you say if the Nazis banged on your door? Read some of the biographies. and some. You know what some of the Christians did? They prayed very quickly and said to the SS, you're looking for Jews? Come on in. Look everywhere. Look under the bed. And the Nazis said, well, obviously there are no, no Jews because they never would have invited us in. Or sometimes they just simply were silent and said nothing. And that's a legitimate option. Instead of lying, you just simply say nothing. Now, remember I said that it boils down to the question, the end justifies the means, it's the lesser of two evils. That is not a biblical principle. It sounds popular. I've been told and I've read that some in the Jesuit order of the Catholic Church says this is acceptable. But it's not acceptable to the Bible. Let me show it to you. So keep your hand in Ephesians, but turn to Romans chapter 3. You see, God does not allow exceptions to any of his commands, even the command, do not lie. Look at Romans chapter 3. Verse 8 says, And why not say, let us do evil, like speaking a lie, that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. He said, some are saying that we are teaching this. We are not teaching this. We are not teaching we can do evil for a higher good. Paul knew his Bible and said, we do not teach that. That's not God's way. You cannot lie for a higher cause because lying is still an evil. You say, well, they're lesser of, it's the lesser of two evils. 1 Corinthians 10 says God will always provide a way out. In temptation, it's never in a situation where you have to tell a lie any more than you have to steal or do other things that God forbids. It would have consequences if you're caught in a lie, even for a higher purpose. That would be like being caught on the witness stand as a perjurer. A perjurer that's being convicted of that felony as I understand, can never be called upon to be a witness. He's disqualified himself. He is a proven liar. It's like the little boy that kept crying, wolf, wolf, wolf. Eventually, nobody believed him when a wolf did show up. A person that commits lying for any purpose, eventually people say, you can't trust that guy. He's always lying. I remember years ago, we had a young man in this church who was very loose with the truth. I remember standing right there at those two doors that lead out of the auditorium, and I caught him in a bald-faced lie. He said something over and over again. I said, is that really the truth? And he said, yeah, I swear to God. And I said, stop swearing to God. I know you're lying. 
He had no conscience about telling a lie. It's hard to believe him on anything after that. Let's put it closer to home in the family with husbands and wives, even on minor things. Some of you have heard of the well-known theologian Wayne Grudem. And uh, I, I listened to an interview on the radio once with him, and the lady interviewing said, well, Wayne, aren't there times that a husband kind of has to stretch the truth so as not to hurt the wife? And he said, well, like what? Well, let's say your wife has bought a new dress and puts it on and says, you know, honey, don't I look good in this? And you don't really like that dress, so you say, oh, that's beautiful, honey. And he says, no. We promised on the day we got married we would never lie to one another. And so the woman said, well, what would you say about the dress? He said, I'd just say, honey, you look better in the other dress than in this one. Legitimate alternative. He spoke the truth. You take my point. There are no exceptions to any of God's commandments, even this one putting away lying. What about people that continue to lie and defend it? And become habitual liars. Revelation 20, uh, 21.8 says all liars, that is all unrepentant liars, will have their place in the lake of fire and brimstone. In other words, all unrepentant sinners, including unrepentant liars, will go to hell. It's that serious. Makes me feel uncomfortable. How about you? Let's move on to the second of these uncomfortable cases, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun do go down on your wrath. Another word for anger. This is a paraphrase of Psalm 4.4, but notice it's an imperative. Be angry. Therefore, there is such a thing, according to the Bible, as righteous indignation. That might surprise you. Now, we've all experienced it. Sometimes we feel guilty, but the Bible says there is a time to be angry. Years ago, a man wrote a book called A Time for Anger. And back in the 1950s, over in Great Britain, there was a group of writers that were nicknamed the angry young men. They were always protesting injustice. There is a time to be angry. Remember I said we should speak the truth like God always does? Is God ever angry? Yes. Psalm 711 God is angry with the wicked every day. What about Jesus? People think, well, Jesus was kind of meek and mild, always walking around with a lamb and flowers in his hair, and never, never, ever got angry. They don't know their Bible. Matthew 3, 5, Jesus was angry with the Pharisees in a synagogue because they did not want Jesus to heal a man. Matthew ten fourteen, which was read earlier from Mark, Jesus was angry with the apostles because they were trying to keep the children away from Jesus. Says Jesus was angry. Matthew 23, Jesus was angry with the money changers and the hypocrites. And seven times he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And it culminates in Revelation 6.16 at the second coming, the wrath of Jesus Christ on all his enemies. So yes, God and specifically Jesus are righteously angry. What should we be angry at? We should be angry at what God is angry at. Sin. Especially certain sins against God and against people such as in cruelty. Let me give you a few examples of that. Doesn't it make you angry when you hear what's done to certain children? 
I know police officers that get called to a certain case and they say, it makes my blood boil to see what parents do to their own children. That's righteous indignation. We should be. You ever read something on the internet or a newspaper and you roll it up and say, that's not right what he did. There is a righteous indignation. We should have it in justice, for example. Wife beating. Robbing the helpless or the elderly. Cheating people. Rape. Aggressive warfare. These are things that a Christian should be righteously angry against. Again, look at the text. Be angry. These are things God is angry with. If, as here, some anger is commanded, listen closely. If some righteous anger is commanded, then failure to be angry would be a sin, just like being angry when you shouldn't be. Do you got it? These work together. We're commanded, be angry. And what if you're not angry at something that is evil and wrong and cruel? That says something about the state of your heart. Not being angry when we should be angry is as bad as being angry when we should not be angry. But there is also a wrong anger. Look at the verse here. Be angry, but do not sin. As if to say there is a good anger, but there is also a bad anger. And we usually have more of that than the other one there. Psalm 37, 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. A few years ago, I preached on this, and I decided to put the CD out in the lobby. Help yourself if you have an anger problem or if you know someone else that does. It's a whole sermon on anger. We also have a pamphlet on it. Consider the consequences if you really get angry and lose your temper. You could cause a heart attack. I developed high blood pressure years ago, and my doctor says, Kurt, don't ever get angry and lose your temper. Don't get stressed out. Learn how to chill. Think of the consequences. Also, uncontrolled anger can lead to violence and hurt someone else. Or the sort of person that gets angry and wants to lash out, and he ends up hurting himself. You remember that? Some of y'all may remember the old movie with James Dean, you know, Rebel Without a Cause. You remember early on he was picked up, and in the, in the juvenile office, he says, yeah, take it out. And, the, and he started punching the desk, and James then eventually stopped, realizing he was only hurting himself. He tried taking the anger out, and it hurt himself. You see, it can hurt another person. It can hurt yourself. There's never a place for this display of uncontrolled anger. Stop it as soon as you feel it. And usually we can feel it's beginning to come on. It affects us, even physiologically. We need to learn to chill at that moment. Take a walk. Thomas Jefferson used to say, when you feel anger coming on, count to ten. And if you're really, count, you're really coming on, count to a hundred. It's a besetting sin for some. Curiously, some people are able to keep it under control, but other ones, they lose their temper a lot. Road rage. Are the only ones ever been tempted with that? Somebody cuts you off driving too slow in the fast lane and you want to say, hurry up, buddy. Road rage, very common. You've heard reports, you've seen it on TV. Road rage is some guy gets out with a gun and shoots the other guy. In other words, when you lose your temper and it goes too far, you do irrational things you would never do when you're calmed down. Road rage. Or people getting in an angry argument at home, 
or even in the car on the way to church. Husband and a wife. Father gets angry with his child. Why didn't you get your shoes on on in time and now we're going to be late to church? Father gets angry. You see, it can strike at any time. Charles Spurgeon said anger is a temporary insanity. Where we're not thinking rationally, we're just simply going by selfish emotions. Here's some more practical advice. Parents, sometimes you get very angry when your children misbehave. They do something. They break something. And you get very angry. Do not ever discipline your children when you're angry. Calm down. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself taking it out on them. Yes, there is an anger when they disobey. But learn how to direct it like God has controlled anger. Don't take it out on them. Also, psychologists talk about transference. Like a man has a bad day at work. And he comes home and he takes it out on his wife. And the wife says, what did I do? That's transference. That's wrong. Don't transfer your anger to someone else. Go outside, get on your knees and say, Lord, you take this away from me. So there is a wrong anger that can be called unrighteous indignation, such as people getting angry at God. Of course, you'd say, I'm too spiritual. I'll never get angry with God. Oh, yeah? What about when God doesn't answer your prayer? When you've been praying for something over and over again, or you go through a trial, or you suffer injustice. God, how could you let this happen? People have been, I have seen literally people shake a fist at God. I heard a man say to me on the phone about a year or two ago, he says, if I saw God face to face, I'd spit in his face. I hate him. That's anger. And I traced it back to something that happened in his life, and he blamed God. Never get angry with God. God, you know, someone once, one of the Puritans said, there are several attributes of God that we can reciprocate. Be holy as he is holy. Speak the truth as he is holy. He loves us. We should love him. But he said, in this area, he can be angry with us. We can never be angry with God because he is always in the right. But then we also get angry at other people, family. And it gets out of hand. You see on TV the riots in New York the other day. One thing I find hard to believe when people get really angry and they riot after their team has won a big game. You ever see that on TV? I've seen sore losers really let loose, but sore winners rioting? There's no rhyme or reason to it, but what about sore losers? Their team lost and they blame the referee or something. Worst case of this happened in South America many years ago in one of those huge stadiums. And the crowd of the home team said this is an injustice. They got on the field. They grabbed what they thought was the offending referee. They dragged him to the goalpost. They were going to lynch him from the goalpost. The army had to come in on a horseback to rescue him. It was uncontrolled anger. But there are other such cases where there's Injustice or perceived injustice amongst sore losers. Can we easily forget January 6th? I know there are different people with different moods, but there is a crowd there resembled a lynch mob, and some of them were even crying out, Hang Mike Pence. They were angry. Did you see the faces on most of those rioters? 
But it wasn't just them. Six months earlier, Antifa with their riots. In other words, anger led to uncontrolled violence against other people. Matthew 5.22 said, The person that is angry with his brother without cause is subject to the judgment of God. It's hard to live with an angry person. It's always angry. It's always seething and always coming out. It's hard to live with such a person. Can I give some practical advice to my fellow singles here of whatever age, the teenagers, the young adults, middle age? Don't marry a perpetually angry person. I've got biblical support for that. If you're dating that man or that woman that's always getting angry while you're courting, if you get married, sooner or later that anger is going to come at you because that person is always looking to vent. And there are cases where that person says, what happened to the man I married or the woman? Here's the Bible verse, Proverbs 21, 19. Better to dwell in the wilderness alone than with a contentious and angry woman. And that would apply to men. Another application of this is when you're not angry, but you want to get someone else angry. So it applies that in Colossians 3.21. Parents don't push your children to anger. How about children that like to bait their brother or sister, knowing they say or do something that that other person's going to get angry? I remember when I was a kid, my brother would say certain things knowing that it would get me mad. That's wrong. Even if you're not the angry one, you're tempting someone to get angry. That's also wrong. Proverbs 15.1 says you can handle someone that's already angry. It says a soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes, you know, policemen know this and riot control. Sometimes a soft answer can calm a person down from his, his anger. I was preaching in the open air once, like some of our men doing, about 100 people out there, some heckling. Heckler at the back, he was angry and he got violent. He came charging through the crowd at me. And we said, that guy's just about to grab me by the throat. He was totally out of control, anger, cursing. The other preacher said, we'll protect your curtain. I said, no, 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 no. The man came right up to me, and right before he was about to hit me, I just said, hi, I'm Kurt Daniel. What's your name? You have a problem? Can we help? And he stopped, and very gradually he calmed down. A soft answer can calm a person down. Other people offer excuses for their unrighteous anger. For example... A wife says, I have to get angry at my husband. How else can I get him to do something that he should be doing? Another famous defense of this, some of you remember Geraldine Ferraro that ran for vice president some years ago. She said, I'm Italian. I don't get angry. I get even. That's also wrong. There are two kinds of unrighteous anger. First off, there's explosive anger where a person yells, throws things, turn to violence. And that usually happens to men more than women, but there are some women that explosive and become violent. Explosive. Some of you remember the old TV show about the, um, you remember about Hulk, this scientist that got angry and all of a sudden he turned into this angry green monster. Some people are like that, explosive, and they become like a violent monster. I was in the parking lot at Walmart one night, 
And I heard a man yell. I was trying to load the groceries in my car. And I said, that's an angry man about to get violent. And I looked at some of the other guys. And I said, let's go over there. Maybe we can stop it. He's about to commit violence. This grown man had lost it. He was yelling at his son and threatening him. And I said, you know, this guy's just about to beat up his son. So we kind of sat around and looked at the man. And the man didn't want to do it in front of witnesses. So he said to the boy, get in the car and we'll handle this at home. He was explosive. But then there's another kind of anger that we'd say is seething. It doesn't come out like a bomb. And this is the kind more women than men will do because women might realize my husband's stronger than me, but it comes out with words more than fists. And it comes out of a root of bitterness and it's seething. You see, sometimes a man explodes and then it blows away. He's vented it unrighteously. But this other kind of person lets it seethe over and over and it builds up for days, weeks, even years. Look at the text. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? It's referring to Deuteronomy 24, 15 and 21, 23 that says, get it settled before the sun goes down. Don't let it seethe. If you've exploded, apologize. If it's exploded at you, forgive. Work it out before you turn off the lights and say goodnight to your spouse. Couples need to do that. They should never go to bed when they're angry. One couple said, we stay up half the night sometimes, sorting it out, and it always ends up with an apology and forgiveness, and we turn out the light. That's the way to handle it, such as anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So what's the positive alternative? Learn self-control and patience. Those are two of the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5. Christians need that. By the way, pardon the pun, but doctors need patience, and so do Christians. Some of you are still trying to work that out. Okay, here's the ethical problem concerning being angry. Is it ever okay to get angry? And we've said yes, sometimes it is, but not always. There's a time, you ever heard of Phillips Brooks? He wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem. He said this There's a time to get angry and a time not to get angry. The trouble is, I have difficulty telling when to do which. He's right. Or we get angry in the wrong way or not angry when we should get angry. We should get angry when God is angry. But the Bible also says God is slow to anger, He is patient. So balance anger and patience and self-control. It says be slow to anger in the book of James. That means have a very long fuse like God and let God put the fuse out. Okay, that's our second case. By the way, briefly look at the next verse. It says, nor give place to the devil. In other words, when you sin these three sins or any other ones, you're giving him an opportunity to add sin to sin. You lie, you have to cover it up with another lie. You get angry, you get more angry. You're giving in to the devil. Or as one of the Puritans said, when you do that, you're tempting the devil to tempt you into more sin. Don't give place to the devil. Lastly, look at the third ethical case here in verse 28. Let no, excuse me, wrong verse. Let him who, steal, who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, and so forth. Now, it refers to regular thieves, but the principle applies to all of us, because none of us is innocent. 
Thou shalt not steal is in the Ten Commandments, and it's repeated here. Let him that steals, steal no longer. Now again, when I preached on the Ten Commandments, I had a really long list of this. Can I give you a few examples to make you feel uncomfortable? Pilfering at work. When there are supplies that are only meant for the office and not for you to take home. Heard about a preacher that was preaching on this and said, don't pilfer supplies from the office at work. And a man in the church wrote that down. He was taking notes on the sermon and it occurred to him that very notebook he had stolen from work. <laughs> and he said to the preacher, well, what do I do with this? If I was a preacher, I would have said, go back to your, to your supervisor and say, I did, it, did wrong. I'm not only going to pay for it, I'm going to pay double for it to prove that I'm sorry and I'm never going to do it again. Pilfering. How about embezzlement? I knew a Christian woman that wanted to get back at her boss for making a pass at her, and she embezzled $15,000 from the business, got caught Went to prison for six months. Christian woman, embezzlement. Not paying your taxes. Pickpockets, vandalism. How about what children do? When daddy's not there, take a little bit of his spirit change. Or a mother's purse when she's not looking. Extortion, blackmail, kleptomania, shoplifting, fraud, looting. Or even what people defend... Uh, it, there's no harm with taking towels from the motel. It is. There was a mix-up at a motel I once stayed, and the manager phoned me and said, Mr. Daniel, you stole our towels. And I said, no, I did not. But it, he said, we don't give them out. They're meant for use here. But people will say, well, it's, it's like taking the soap. Why not take the towels? No, that's stealing. Gambling is a form of stealing. Not paying your bills. I'm convinced a lot, not necessarily all, but at least a lot of bankruptcy is stealing because it's intentional and someone has to pay it and it's a person that you owed it to. Swindling, scamming, and there are many, many other forms and they're all wrong. Now let's go to a higher level. Matthew 3, Ma- Matthew, Malachi 3 says, will a man rob God? How do people rob God? goes on to say, by not paying their tithes and offerings. Another way, worse way, is when we steal God's glory. When we take pride in something God did, such as in our salvation, we cannot be proud of that. We're glory thieves. That's wrong. Why is stealing wrong? After all, Karl Marx and his Followers today say, quote, private property is theft. Everything should belong to everybody. No, God ordained private property. This belongs to that person and not another. And that's why a parent should teach the child, don't steal that other child's toys. They're not yours. It belongs to that child, not you. Everybody can steal. Government steals with unfair taxation. Or I heard a very conservative commentator that was a first-class economist said there's government stealing when they crank out inflation money they're stealing from people because the value of their savings goes down it's actually stealing from the common citizen or here's another one and I remember oh I can name a bunch of commentators says this was one of the worst decisions that the United States Supreme Court did a few years ago the misuse of eminent domain they took a piece of property, I believe it was in New Jersey, 
The person did not want to sell, and they say this is going to be used for government purposes, and they turned it over to a private enterprise because they said we make more taxes off of this. That was stealing from that person that did not want to sell. How about the old robber barons? I could go on and on. Grand theft auto. What happens to unrepentant thieves? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11 says unrepentant thieves go to hell. So here's the ethical dilemma concerning them, just like the first two. Is it ever okay to steal? Hard case would be, what about in a ultra depression or famine and a man says I've got to steal a loaf of bread to feed my family they're starving so yes stealing is wrong but it's justified in this case did you know the Bible addresses this would you know where to refer to it the Bible does it's in the book of Proverbs chapter 6 listen closely people do not despise a thief if he seals to satisfy himself when he is starving yet when he is found He must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. So someone says, I steal to feed my family. But the Bible says, okay, you'll have to pay it back sevenfold. That would put the kibosh on a lot of looting and in other forms of stealing. You've heard about what's happened out in San Francisco. Anything less than $900, just let them take it. And now they're beginning to see the repercussions of this. There should be repercussions. What about in warfare? I've been reading about World War II, and there's mainly the Nazis, but sometimes even the Allies took over a place and they looted the spoils of war, they say. God says, thou shalt not steal. What about being like Robin Hood, who stole from the rich to give to the poor? He stole from the rich. He was robbing Hood, is what he was. It's wrong. We should return what has been stolen, maybe with interest and an apology and restitution. There's no justification for stealing. How about stealing a person's reputation? What was that case years ago where a person was found totally innocent and he says, where do I go to get my reputation back? It's been stolen and destroyed. So you see there are different implications of this. Now, what's the opposite? Instead of stealing, look again at the text. It gives us the positive alternative. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give to him who is in need. In other words, work. You know that's in the Ten Commandments? He said, where's that in the Ten Commandments? How about number four? Six days thou shalt labor, but rest on the seventh. Six days you shall labor. Adam and Eve were commanded to work both before and after the Fall. This is called the creation mandate. Work. Even if you're wealthy, you work to give away. You ever heard of R.G. Letourneau, godly Christian in Texas? He invented bulldozers and all sorts of massive machinery, became a multimillionaire. He tied in reverse. He kept 10% and he gave the rest to charities. Missionaries, Wycliffe Bible translators. We had a woman in our church back in Texas. She was independently wealthy and was not married, and she said, but God commands me to work. I work 40 hours a week doing volunteer work. What about the elderly and the handicapped that cannot work? They can still pray. There's such a thing as prayer work that anybody can do. So you see, this is a legitimate alternative to stealing. 
you should work. This is what's been called the Protestant work ethic. John Wesley summed it up. Earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. And it says here, working with your hands. Some people mainly work with their hands, other ones mainly with their head, and other ones, like preachers, mainly work with their mouths. Same thing with teachers. And it says here, work what is good. In other words, don't do illegitimate, sinful work like dealing drugs or alcohol. What about your job? Is it working what is good? Here's another hard verse. 2 Thessalonians 3 says, If anyone will not work, let him not eat. If he is able to work, he shouldn't be supported. He should go and get a job if he is able. On the other hand, we should support those that are not able to work. Charity does begin at home, but it doesn't end at home. We should be generous, not greedy. We can always give time and compassion to people that need it. Draw to a conclusion. Anybody here feel uncomfortable yet? I do. Feel convicted. We've all lied. We've all been unrighteously angry at times. We've all stolen something or another. Is there anybody here whose conscience I did not touch? But there's good news. These are sins. Like every other sin, there is still forgiveness For all of these, for stealing, unrighteous anger, lying, God offers forgiveness for these. First, for the non-Christian. This is just a sample of all your sins. God promises to forgive all of your sins, no matter what they are, when you believe in Jesus Christ and get saved. But for Christians, even Christians lie, get unrighteously angry, and even steal things. God offers to forgive that and to wash you fresh and white in the blood of Jesus Christ. May God help all of us not to do these negative sins, but to do the positive alternative. That's the way out that God provides for us. Let us pray. Father, this is strong medicine, but it's good for us. Touch our hearts. Remind us of when we have broken these laws. Forgive us and help us not to do them again. Help us to do the righteous, positive alternative instead. And in so doing, we are imitating you. In Jesus' name, amen.